traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Tortoise. Hello, it's Basha here, and you're listening to the Slow Newscast from Tortoise. The licence to run the UK's National Lottery is one of the biggest public contracts in Britain. And in this week's episode, my colleague Paul Caruana Galizia and producer Katie Gunning investigate a secretive process to award the contract to a new owner, where it seems that the British government didn't care very much about how and who it ended up with. Over to Paul. Who won the first National Lottery jackpot, estimated at £2 million? The odds of winning that first National Lottery jackpot were famously 14 million to one. And it could be you. But it didn't put people off. Now live and exclusive coverage of the very first draw in Britain's new National Lottery. Noel Edmonds discovers the numbers... Which 22 million people tuned in on a Saturday night in November 1994 to watch the first ever live draw. In just 58 minutes from now, the draw for the first National Lottery will be made live at BBC Television Centre. And there were winners that night. Seven people ended up £800,000 richer after sharing the jackpot. It was new and exciting, but with a serious purpose. I've long believed in a national lottery. Well, now we're going to have one. And with it, a better Britain for the charities, for the artists and for the sportsmen of tomorrow. So have a flutter. It was a Conservative government under John Major which proposed the National Lottery. The idea of what we can do certainly makes my heart flutter and I look forward to it. It was seen as a way of raising money for causes that wouldn't otherwise be supported through public revenue. And so, despite the odds, millions of us played. Over the years, ticket prices have gone up but your chances of winning the jackpot have gone down. I mean, the original advertising campaign for the National Lottery way back in 1994, the strapline was, it could be you. And the answer is, yes, it could be. Obviously, it's all about highlighting the winning, but minimising the losing. We as human beings, when there's something positive that's going to happen to us, we kind of overestimate the odds. We spent £8.2 billion on National Lottery tickets last year. About a fifth of that went to cultural projects, what the lottery calls good causes. So charities of all descriptions, arts, heritage and community projects, 
big ticket items like the Millennium Dome and the Millennium Bridge, the Angel of the North and the Imperial War Museum. And then there's sport. Lottery money has propelled Team GB up the Olympics medals table from one gold medal at the Atlanta Olympics prior to lottery funding to 22 in Tokyo in 2021. So, good things happen with national lottery money. It's also extremely lucrative for the company that runs it. Over the last license period, the operator grew its shareholder profit from 32 to 71 million pounds. You can see why it's such an attractive public contract to hold. And why each time it comes up for tender, it proves controversial. The previous three competitions had their fair share of legal claim and counterclaim. The second contest led to the resignation of the civil servant running it. So when the fourth licence competition began in 2018, the pressure was on the government to run a robust and fair competition. We believe the Gambling Commission got the decision badly wrong. But once again, the final decision was contested, this time by Camelot, which is losing the licence after nearly 30 years. Was this simply a case of sour grapes? Or does Camelot have a point? Were the rules of the game subtly changed at the last minute because of a feeling that a new operator was needed? Was the bid that eventually won one of Britain's biggest public contracts not properly scrutinised? A contract, I should add, that's worth around £6.5 billion to whoever runs it. In an attempt to get rid of an underperforming operator, did the British government usher in a new kind of problem. Because two weeks after Russia invaded Ukraine, the Gambling Commission awarded the fourth national lottery licence to a company called Allwin, a company owned, ultimately, by a Czech billionaire. So it was clear that he had links to Russian contracts. There was a Gazprom oil storage unit in the Czech Republic. And had he divested himself of those links with Russia? And while that Czech billionaire has taken a strong public stance against Vladimir Putin, describing the Russian president's invasion of Ukraine as brutal, senseless and barbaric, he didn't sever all his links to Russia during the national lottery competition. This isn't the kind of story I'm immediately drawn to. I don't play the lottery. And on the face of it, this is a business story about regulation and corporate competition. But stay with me, because it's about much more than that. Time and again, I find myself shocked by the way Britain actually works. The way it boasts of its rule of law, while people with money and influence seem to play the system to their own advantage. And it's the system around the National Lottery that drew me into this story. The regulator, if not exactly looking the other way, then hardly doing a robust job of enforcing the rules. A government that wanted a new owner, but didn't care much for scrutinising the process of how it got one and who it ended up with. The first 
lottery draw takes place on the BBC and the first one will be coming out now. It's a green and it is number 30. Green number 30, the first ever ball in the first ever draw of the National Lottery. An operation run from the outset by Camelot. It went on to win the next seven-year licence to run the lottery in 2000. And the next one in 2007. In 2012, Camelot renegotiated the third licence, including a four-year licence extension to July 2023. So for 29 years, the game has been run by the same operator. But early next year, Camelot will pass the lottery baton to a company called Allwin. Allwin is Europe's biggest lottery group. It already runs lotteries in Austria, Greece, Italy and the Czech Republic. And it's owned by a Czech oil and gas tycoon a billionaire called Karel Komarek. A man now worth an estimated £6 billion, who gives large sums of his money to charitable projects in his hometown of Hodonin, donates pianos to schools across the Czech Republic and pays for humanitarian support for Ukraine. But aside from his wealth and his philanthropy, we know very little about the man who now controls a major British asset. Karel Komarek is intensely private. The little we do know about him burst into the public domain by complete accident. Thank you for this, Michael. Well, thank you for coming all this way. Where have you come from? London. From London. It's very easy, actually. It's a story that takes us back to the early 1990s, to an industrial region called South Moravia, in what was then Czechoslovakia. Karel Komarek's family, which he describes as poor, lived in a two-bedroom flat in the town of Hodonin. And I used to go to Hodonin because that's where the state company was, and it was a foggy, murky, dark place. I mean, it's still very much part of the Soviet era. In the early 1990s, this was still coal mining country, where low-grade coal was dug out of the ground. At the time, Michael Seymour was the managing director of a British oil company called Ramco, which was working with the state-owned Czech energy company looking for oil and gas. Michael's now retired, and we chat in the dining room of his home in Oxfordshire. Michael Seymour and Karel Komarek's paths cross in a dramatic way, one that forces allegations about the Komareks into the public domain. The story begins when Karel Komarek is 20 and just starting out. He has quite a helping hand. In 1992, his father lends him $10,000 to start a business. He founds a company providing industrial fittings to the gas industry, things like pipes and valves. With his father, he soon expands into drilling for oil and gas, establishing MND, Moravian Oil Mines. As the country liberalises its economy, MND grows into a successful private company 
and even takes over some of the government's state-owned oil and gas production companies. It's one of those state-owned companies that Michael Seymour is working with. Uh, the state company suddenly disappeared as being a state company and it turned up to be under the control of people who we didn't know really who they were. It seemed as if they were still the Czech, the Czech state company, but um, obviously uh, the ownership had moved. Um, MND and the Komarek family are now in charge. And for a while, operations continue smoothly. The deal we had with the Czech state company was that we would provide the money for drilling an exploration well into a, a structure. And if we found oil and gas, we would uh, produce it together and gain the revenues together. Relations remain good. Until suddenly, they aren't. What happened was that we put all our risk money into drilling the well. We found oil and gas. Um, we started producing. And as soon as that happened, suddenly things changed. Michael and his boss find themselves invited to dinner in Hodonin with Karel Komarek Sr., the father. It was a, just the three of us, sort of a sort of formal dinner in a private room at a restaurant. I mean, we got to the sort of more or less the end of the meal and we, we, I mean, we'd do a lot of small talk and then um, um, suddenly the, the mood changes. Mr. Komarek said, well, you've... Uh, We've now got the oil and gas under production. Uh, we'll have it back, thank you very much. And we were um, told we were to be expelled from the project. It's suddenly painfully clear that they have no idea who they've been dealing with. As it happens, one of Ramco's board members is Malcolm Rifkind, a former foreign secretary. He advises Ramco to commission a report into the Comarex from a private intelligence firm called Hacklet. The highly secretive firm was founded by a group of former MI6 spies at the end of the Cold War. Ramco pays Hacklet £40,000, more than £70,000 in today's money, for its report on the Comarex. But it would end up costing them a lot more. Michael's cagey now about what the Hacklet report contained. But it was not very complimentary. And there were certain dealings in Slovakia which reported pretty scurrilous behaviour, but I can't quote any of it. Perhaps because of the seriousness of the report's allegations, it was decided by Ramco that a copy of the report should go to the British ambassador in Prague. It was certainly never intended to be seen by the Komarek family. And yet... We had attended a meeting with the, the technical people in MND at the same time as having the dinner. And um, I had a, a copy of the minutes, which I needed to send to them. At the same time, when I got the, the report... You can probably see where this is going. The minutes were to go to the Comarex and the Hacklet report to the British ambassador in Prague. But... I was rung up two days later by the ambassador's secretary to say he'd received this um, report of, of minutes of a meeting 
and it became immediately clear to me that the envelopes had got the wrong addresses on and that um, the Comrex had got the report and uh, the ambassador had got the minutes. The Comorex sue Ramco for libel at the Royal Courts of Justice in London. And it's here, in court, that some of the Hacklet report emerges publicly. The report alleges that Karel Komarek Sr. had hired a Ukrainian hitman to murder a business partner, who was a former Slovak politician, and that the Komareks had forced the man to sign over assets worth millions of pounds. The Komareks deny the allegations in court, and Ramko doesn't actually try and prove the truth of the allegations either. So the presiding judge ultimately dismisses the case, ruling that it will be noted that there is no plea of justification and the allegations will therefore be presumed to be untrue. The Komareks told us unequivocally that the allegations were entirely false and that they were never contacted by any police or any investigative authorities about them. Karel Komarek's business continues to grow and diversify. He soon moves into technology, employing thousands of IT professionals, and later into renewable energy, developing a wind farm in western Ukraine. But it's his move into lotteries that is central to this story. He bought the Czech lottery company, Saska, about a decade after the libel case. And within just eight years of that, Karel Komarek's company will be in a position to bid to run the UK's national lottery. It's Thursday afternoon. Pretty grubby weather. And I've just left the office in search of a news agent that sells national lottery tickets. Until I started working on this story, I had never actually bought a lottery ticket. Games to play, lotto. And I'm embarrassed to say that I found it pretty confusing. Simply pick six numbers from one to 59 or play lucky dip. There's some sort of lotto draw every day of the week bar Sunday and a dizzying array of scratch cards to choose from. And that's just in my local newsagent. There's even more online. Okay, we're going to do a draw on Saturday. We're going to play for two weeks. Pick our numbers. The lottery has changed considerably since that first live draw back in 1994. Instant wins, which are more like an online slot machine or video game, are introduced in 2005. In 2013, the cost of a lotto ticket doubles from £1 to £2. Two years later, Camelot extends the range of numbers people can choose, making it trickier to win. Can I ask maybe the most basic question? Why are lottery draws so appealing to people despite the terrible odds? Why do people keep playing them? Obviously, there's one very simple reason why people play lotto-type games, and that is because for a fairly uh, minimal outlay, you can have a life-changing experience. People tend to concentrate on the jackpot that could be won 
rather than thinking about the the infinitesimal small odds of winning. People, you know, people have actually said that the National Lottery is a tribute to public innumeracy. And in some ways that that's true because people really don't understand what one in 114 million or what one in 59 million actually really means. This is Professor Mark Griffiths. And understanding probability theory and the lure of the near win is part of his job. I'm Distinguished Professor of Behavioural Addiction at Nottingham Trent University. I've spent the last 37 years studying gambling addiction. He was employed by Allwin as part of their bid to run the lottery and to advise them on player protection. He's never come across someone with a gambling addiction to a draw-based game. But the scratch cards and instant wins are another matter. You know, I did, I've actually described in some of my papers that scratch cards are paper slot machines. They rely on a lot of things like the psychology of the near miss. A lot of the things that the reasons why people are very drawn into playing slot machines are very similar for scratch cards as well. If you go on to some of Camelot's online games, they are what we call instant win games, which people can and, you know, a small minority will, can just sit there playing again and again and again. And in 2017, Camelot stands accused of having become increasingly reliant on scratch cards and casino-style instant wins, which are more associated with problem gambling. It was a finding that came out of an investigation by the National Audit Office into why the amount of lottery money going to good causes appeared to be falling between 2016 and 2017. So not every pound you spend on the lottery is equal. So if you're playing a draw-based game like Lotto or Euro Millions, about 30p in every pound goes to good causes. But for scratch cards, it's more like 10p. And the report found that the drop in the returns to good causes was because more players were buying scratch cards while the sales of the draw-based games declined. I'm going through the NAO report with my producer, Katie Gunning. It's quite visual for a podcast, but there's a really startling graph if you go to page 20. Um, It covers the years from 2009 and its yellow columns show how total ticket sales broadly rise each year, reaching a peak of 6.9 billion. Then overlaid in red across the bottom, you can see the money that Camelot sends to good causes each year in the same period. That stays about the same at about 1.5 billion each year. But the graph also tracks shareholder profits over this same period. And that's the steeply rising blue line. Yeah. So this blue line that's tracking up across this graph, that's showing shareholder profits. And they rise from 32 million in 2009 to 71 million in 2015. That's a rise of 122%. Camelot was owned throughout this period by the Ontario Teachers Pension Plan, one of the largest pension plans in the world. So, in other words, more and more money was going to a Canadian company instead of good causes in Britain, which was the whole point of the country's national lottery when it was started. The National Audit Office published these findings at the end of 2017. And, as it happened, less than a year later, the Gambling Commission began the fourth licence competition process. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. We're supposed to learn from our own mistakes, but other people's errors can be instructive too. From efforts to control the weather that went disastrously awry, to the untimely death of the Segway boss, history is a treasure trove of mishaps and meltdowns that can teach us all. I'm Tim Harford, host of Cautionary Tales, the podcast that mines the greatest fiascos of the past for their most valuable lessons. Listen to Cautionary Tales wherever you get your podcasts. The licence to run the UK's National Lottery is one of Britain's biggest public contracts. Each licence runs for 10 years and has a total value of almost £6.5 billion. There were four major contenders for the fourth licence when the competition began in August 2020. It's a secretive process. Bidders aren't allowed to speak to the press about it, and neither is the Gambling Commission. But there is a parliamentary committee tasked with overseeing it. I'm Clive Efford, Member of Parliament for Eltham, and I'm a member of the Culture, Media and Sports Select Committee. Part of our scrutiny process is to ask questions about what will the change in ownership of the contract for the lottery mean for good causes. Our role in that is to really ask questions about how realistic all this is, Can we trust these people and the issue of trust, particularly in a contract like that for the National Lottery, which deals with charities and money for good causes, uh, is a very important factor. I've been shown a leaked document that suggests only two applicants passed all of the minimum requirements set by the Gambling Commission. And so it was only these two bidders that moved on to the next stage. Alwyn, the new name of Karel Komarek's lottery company and Camelot. The bidders were assessed on their business plans, how much money they aimed to make, and, crucially, how much money they would give to good causes. The leaked document shows that Camelot wins the business plan assessment part, but comes up short when it comes to good causes. The document reveals that Alwyn says it will raise £18.8 billion for good causes over the course of the licence. Camelot says it will raise £15.7 billion. In the end, it is the difference between these two numbers that swings it for Alwyn, Karel Komarek's Czech lottery operator. But just before the Gambling Commission announces a winner, 
everyone's attention shifts. It began before dawn with assaults on multiple targets in the north, south and east. There were explosions reported near major cities, including here in the capital, Kyiv. This is Ukraine's capital. What seemed unthinkable in the 21st century is now underway. A democratic country has been invaded by its nuclear-armed neighbor on multiple fronts. People are not safe in their... Karel Komarek and Ulwin release a public statement, saying that they are... Horrified by Russia's brutal invasion of Ukraine. It is a senseless act of aggression that must be condemned in the strongest possible terms. And we are doing all we can to support the brave Ukrainians impacted by the barbarism of Vladimir Putin's regime. Two weeks later, on the 15th of March 2022, the Gambling Commission announces that Alwyn is its preferred bidder. Remember Hacklet? the secretive private investigations company whose report into the Comarex had prompted a libel case at the High Court, it's once again approached to write a report on Karel Komarek, this time by one of the three failed national lottery bidders. But once bitten, twice shy, Hacklett passes the job onto another private intelligence firm. This time, the concern about Karel Komarek is that he has business interests in Russia, ones he kept even after Vladimir Putin launched an invasion of Ukraine. It's a concern apparently shared by the Gambling Commission and by Clive Effert and his colleagues on the DCMS committee who wanted answers. An assurance that they'd done the appropriate uh, checks and uh, on whether he was uh, a fit and proper person, whether Alwyn were the right people to run this uh, lottery and whether... The proper due diligence had been done in relation to his relationship with Russia. Remember, the Ukraine war was triggering a raft of sanctions on Russian assets. So it was clear that he had links to Russian contracts. There was a Gazprom oil storage unit in the Czech Republic. And had he divested himself of those links with Russia... At a meeting of the Select Committee at the Houses of Parliament on the 30th of June last year, Clive asked the Gambling Commission's chief executive, Andrew Rhodes. Yeah, and this process of, sort of separating off uh, Saska from the Kremlin, uh, because Gazprom is owned by the Kremlin, um, uh, um, was announced at the time that you announced that uh, Alwyn was your preferred bidder back in March, but we're now in June, just about to go into July. Um, what guarantees do we have that that process is going to be completed and that it just once the, they have the, the National Lottery, they just carry on business as usual? We're expecting an announcement in the next few days. So in terms of that facility, it's held as a joint venture to specifically prevent Russian ownership of or outright ownership of Czech national infrastructure. So we have understood for a while the Czech government was in discussions to look at nationalising Uh, that particular facility because of its importance and in light of what's happened with Russian aggression uh, in Ukraine. So we know that uh, the Saska group, or rather now the Orwin group, want to remove themselves from that. They have taken steps to remove themselves from anything else connected to Russian business. And as I say, we've applied... And I have to say that I think the answers left a little bit to be desired because it's a peculiar thing to issue something as big as a contract like that to somebody who's saying, oh, well, you know, maybe in the future I might do this. 
They were pretty confident it was all signed and sealed and was going to happen within days. That was their answer to me. And I've you know, yet to see evidence that that is the case. There's no evidence that Alwyn have divested themselves of a joint venture with Gazprom because it still hasn't happened. A holding company owned by Karel Komarek had, and still has, an interest in a joint venture with the Kremlin-controlled Gazprom in the Czech Republic's Moravia region. In March 2022, Karel Komarek said he'd been in discussions to remove Gazprom from the venture without putting ordinary Czech citizens at risk in the middle of winter. Then, a few months later, his KKCG parent company published an update saying it had made an offer to sell its part in the venture to the Czech government, which was assessing the proposal. When we asked Karel Komarek and his parent company for an update, more than a year after its last update, we found that the plan to sell its share to the Czech government seems to have been shelved. Instead, they told us that on the 27th of October, 2023, four days after we wrote to them, that a new plan was afoot. The plan is that the joint venture will issue shares to be bought by Karel Komarek's side, expecting it to dilute Gazprom's shareholding from 50 to 3%. None of this has happened yet, and neither has regulatory approval for it been obtained. But they told us that Gazprom will cease to be a shareholder within the next 12 months. Gazprom was sanctioned by the UK government soon after Russia invaded Ukraine. Almost all of its senior executives remain on sanctions lists. Well, it does call into question the reassurances that were given to the Gambling Commission at the time. It does call into question the process because taking someone's word on doing something in the future that will um, you know, make them compliant with the checks and balances of, you know, that are necessary for issuing a contract from this is just clearly not good enough. I wanted to know what reassurances the Gambling Commission asked of bidders on this issue. Through a Freedom of Information request, I got a copy of a letter dated 15th March 2022 that the Gambling Commission sent to the government's department for digital culture, media and sport. It says, The government sanction regime relating to the conflict in Ukraine is a rapidly developing situation. As a responsible regulator, we have conducted additional due diligence to ensure applicants are not impacted by sanctions. All applicants to the competition have confirmed that their application is in no way exposed to any of the sanctioned entities and individuals. I sent FOI requests to the Gambling Commission itself to find what those additional checks were. They appear to have consisted of a single letter to the bidders. It was dated 25th February 2022, a day after Russia invaded Ukraine. The letter asked them to confirm whether they're likely to be impacted by existing or potential future sanctions on Russia and whether their financing is likely to be impacted by sanctions on Russia. That's it. That was the additional due diligence, simply asking bidders if they're impacted or will be by sanctions. Alwyn takes over the running of the National Lottery in early February next year. 
It raises the possibility that Karel Komarek could start making a profit from selling lottery tickets in the UK while still linked with Gazprom. Well, that would be astonishing because the select committee would have been misled. Whether inadvertently or not, we would have to investigate, but I think that that really does raise questions that need to be answered. And that's not the only Russia issue here. In fact, there's a more concerning one. Because it's not just that uh, gas storage facilities, there are numerous um, uh, 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 business interests that, that Mr. Kamarek has in various European countries, including Russia. At the parliamentary hearing, the Gambling Commission's John Tanner dismissed his follow-up concerns. There is one other facility in Russia which has already been divested, which was a, uh, an oil terminal which had never operated. Uh, and that's in- I've looked into the oil terminal that never operated. After spending a few euros on Dutch corporate filings, I downloaded some Russian and Czech records and asked the Organised Crime and Corruption Reporting Project, a group of journalists, for a corporate intelligence report on the oil terminal. I came to a very different conclusion. In 2011, one of Karel Komarek's companies bought a Russian company that owned an oil terminal in the Samara region of Russia. In 2015, his Dutch holding company, of which he was a director, took over the oil terminal's shareholding completely. In September 2019, shortly before the Gambling Commission published its draft invitation to apply for the National Lottery Licence, Karel Komarek resigned from that Dutch holding company. But two of his most senior parent company directors remained on board. And then, two years later, on the 19th of September 2022, those two directors resigned. That is, two of Karel Komarek's most senior employees were directors of a Russian oil terminal half a year after Karel Komarek got the National Lottery license, and seven months after Russia invaded Ukraine. The day those two directors resigned, Complete control of the oil terminal passed to a Czech company directed and owned by one Pavel Zvark. Pavel Zvark was another one of Karel Komarek's most senior employees with responsibility for managing his Russian assets. Pavel Zvark had set up the Czech company in April 2022 with the same name as Karel Komarek's Dutch company. He was the Czech company's sole director and owner. A few weeks later, Pavel Zvark resigned from his position with Karel Komarek, only to re-emerge as the owner of the Russian oil terminal through that Czech company. So, while Karel Komarek's own personal link to the Russian oil terminal ended in 2019, his parent company continued to own it for months after he won the lottery license and months after Russia's invasion of Ukraine and sold it to a recently former employee of Karel Komarek's. We put these facts to the Gambling Commission. They told us... We are confident that we ran a fair and robust competition. 
we took every step possible to ensure a level playing field for all interested parties. To enable us to appoint a licensee which will engage and protect players, run the National Lottery with integrity and ensure the National Lottery continues to support good causes and their contribution to society. Karel Komarek confirmed that divestment of the Russian oil terminal happened on the 19th of September 2022 and told us that his parent company has always been open about its minor investments in Russia from which it has divested and it has nothing to hide. How was Karel Komarek able to pitch himself so successfully in the UK? Anglicising the name of his company from Saska to Orwen may have made a subtle difference, as perhaps did a paid-for profile of Karel Komarek, which appeared in the pages of the magazine Vanity Fair in the later stages of the bid process. It painted a flattering picture of him as a hard-working, philanthropic billionaire with a love of London. He also hired some heavyweights to promote his bid, Justin King, CBE, who was Sainsbury's CEO, advised Alwyn on its bid and was promised its chairmanship should it win. Sir Keith Mills, known for inventing the air miles and running London's successful bid to host the 2012 Olympics, was another advisor. Lord Sebastian Coe, an Olympian and the president of World Athletics, was appointed to Alwyn's board during the competition. All were promised handsome returns from Alwyn on a successful bid. Sir Keith and Lord Coe didn't respond to requests for comment. Justin King told us there were substantial gaps and inaccuracies in our understanding of the National Lottery competition. Alwyn's lawyers at Quinn Emanuel told us the same thing and, like Justin King, didn't fill in any of those claimed gaps or correct any of those claimed inaccuracies. We also got a statement from Alwyn that said the Gambling Commission and its experts judged Alwyn's bid to be the best. Karel Komarek's lawyers at Schillings made clear that he stands against Putin and that any suggestion that he's complicit with or sympathetic to Russian interests is damaging and deeply offensive. But the point here is how and why Russian interests he acquired before Russia's invasion of Ukraine were waved through by the Gambling Commission. The Gambling Commission seems to think Karel Komarek had no connections to Russia other than the joint Gazprom venture. But easily available company filings suggest that's not the case. That his company still had control and ownership of a Russian oil terminal. We believe the Gambling Commission got the decision badly wrong. It's a huge procurement, and we think it deserves proper scrutiny. Just over two weeks after Alwyn is named as the preferred bidder for the fourth licence, Camelot sues. It alleges that the Gambling Commission failed to correctly and lawfully evaluate the two final bids and committed manifest errors. When the chief executive of Camelot, Nigel Railton, is asked about the lawsuit by Sky's Ian King, he implies that further details will emerge. But what do you think that the Gambling Commission got wrong? I can't talk about it, Ian. It's, um, 
it's subject to restrictions and uh, I'm just not able to talk about that. But I think they did get the decision badly wrong and we'll all find out later in the year when the court look at that decision. But we never do find out. Because in February of this year, Alwyn buys Camelot for a rumoured £120 million. And the case isn't just discontinued. The judge orders all of the associated court filings to be marked confidential. A court case over one of Britain's biggest public contracts is sealed shut. So what were Camelot's concerns? The leaked document, the one I mentioned earlier, is also helpful here. Because at the heart of Camelot's claim against the Gambling Commission was a score the regulator awarded to rival bids. And how this score was applied. At the start of the process, applicants were told that something called a solution risk factor would be applied to adjust for risks across different parts of their application. But it was contentious. Let me explain. It imagined there was a risk posed by transition to a new operator, and so the new applicants' claims of money to good causes were adjusted downwards, by up to 15%, to account for this. But Camelot had an obvious advantage. It was the incumbent, so there was no transition risk. Several MPs who sat on the parliamentary committee weren't happy about this. But whether they put pressure on the Gambling Commission or not is hard to say. The Gambling Commission denies that they did. But in late February last year, and shortly before Alwyn was announced as the winner, the solution risk factor went from 15 to 0. The Gambling Commission claimed both Alwyn and Camelot had already accounted for risk within their plans. The leaked document shows that adjusting the risk to zero completely flipped the previous order, one where Camelot was comfortably on top. Suddenly, Alwyn's promise of raising more than 18 billion for good causes easily trumps Camelot's promise of more than 15 billion. Alwyn's promise of raising much more money for good causes now looks like it might not be fulfilled. A year and a half after the Gambling Commission chose Alwyn, the company said it didn't know whether it would achieve the promised figure for good causes, and that it might have to be tweaked. And remember the Gambling Commission's assessment, effectively that there'd be no transition risk to a new operator? Alwyn said the transition will happen in the next two years rather than everything magically changing on February 1st. And there are other unfulfilled promises. Karel Komarek still hasn't divested from the Gazprom joint venture. And the Gambling Commission still needs to answer for the other Russian company, the oil terminal in Samara that remained under the control of Karel Komarek's parent company months after he won the national lottery license and after Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Especially when Karel Komarek says he's always been open about it. Because the National Lottery isn't just a game. It's a public contract worth £6.5 billion that will run for a decade. The public shouldn't just know who won it, but how they won it.
This episode was reported by me, Paul Caruana Galizia, and produced by Katie Gunning. The sound designer was Hannah Varel. The editor was Jasper Corbett. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Does what's going on in the American election scare and bemuse you in equal measure? Want to know what Biden and Trump are up to without tearing your hair out? Then you need to listen to American Friction, the brand new podcast about the countdown to the big vote in November from the makers of Oh God, What Now, The Bunker and Paper Cuts. Every Friday, we'll speak to leading experts and blockbuster commentators from the United States to explain the latest news and the big issues behind the vote. That's American Friction with me, Jacob Jarvis. Me, Chris Jones. And me, Nikki McCann Ramirez. Out every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts.